known as Gabe Clegg. <laughs> I don't have it, are you? Very well under control in our country. I think that's... We've declared AIDS public health enemy number one. I'm determined that we'll find a cure for AIDS. We are working on cures and we're getting some very good results. The administration has not put its money behind its rhetoric in fighting this AIDS epidemic. Even as of last year, uh, with 30,000 AIDS cases, the administration was asking the Congress to cut back on the funding for research to deal with AIDS. I don't believe you need 40,000 or 30,000 ventilators. To White House Rose Garden in the midst of a pandemic that's killed tens of thousands, the moment Donald Trump decides is right to cut off the millions America sends to the World Health Organization, a president who accepts no blame himself, keen to point the finger. Hello, my name is Miriam. And I'm Rebecca. Welcome to Girls Take On History, where we discuss what the government and the people are doing wrong in their response to epidemics, pandemics, and much more. On today's episode, we are discussing the slow and unproductive responses to the AIDS epidemic and COVID-19. COVID-19 has devastated Americans in unimaginable ways. The disease has killed nearly 200,000 people in the span of five months. Why? With symptoms like high fever, dry cough, shortness of breath, and in severe cases, loss of speech, many people's bodies shut down. To make matters worse, as a result of the slow response from the federal and state government, racism, false news on social media, and the American superiority complex, the public and healthcare officials were not provided sufficient information or resources to keep safe. Unfortunately, this is not the first time that such a serious health concern resulting from an outbreak has been horribly dealt with. In 1980, the AIDS epidemic phased many people, particularly the gay community in NYC. Since the disease appeared to affect this minority, homophobia was extensive as the Ronald Reagan administration, like Donald Trump, chose to ignore the situation and treat it as a joke. For any emerging disease, Identifying the first carrier, known as patient zero, can serve as a starting point for understanding the disease. For the AIDS epidemic of the 1980s, Canadian flight attendant Gaetan Dugas was widely regarded as patient zero. However, recent studies have shown that there may not be a patient zero for the AIDS epidemic, and Dugas was simply an early AIDS patient. Despite uncertainties on a potential patient zero, other important information regarding the emergence of the AIDS epidemic were present. What had quickly become the AIDS epidemic of the 1980s began in 1981, when several unusual outbreaks surfaced. On June 5, 1981, the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Newsletter reported five cases of what the Center for Disease Control and Prevention called an unusual pneumonia in Los Angeles. Then by August 29th, two rare diseases had struck over 100 gay men in the United States, in which nearly half of them were killed. By the end of 1981, there were 121 total deaths, yet insufficient answers to what the disease was. With the disease spreading to the point of an epidemic, there were 16,908 deaths by 1987. You would think that a disease emerging through an epidemic would be cured roughly 40 years later. However, since the 1980s, roughly 35 million people have died worldwide from AIDS, as there is yet to be a cure. 
The Ronald Reagan administration's lack of serious and immediate response to the epidemic is at great fault for the stigma surrounding AIDS and even possibly its current incurability. U.S. President Ronald Reagan did not address the AIDS epidemic as it devastated American cities until May 31, 1987 at the Third International Conference on AIDS in Washington. By then, over 36,000 Americans were diagnosed with AIDS and over 20,000 had died. So what exactly was the Reagan administration doing up until then? Unfortunately, the Reagan administration's first reaction was simply treating the epidemic as a joke. Audio of press conferences reveals Larry Speaks, Ronald Reagan's press secretary, and members of the media joking about the AIDS epidemic, calling it a quote-unquote gay plague, and laughing about it. Here is the first exchange between Speaks and journalist Lester Kinsolving on October 15, 1982, at a White House press briefing. During another White House press briefing held on December 11, 1984, Speaks asserts that Ronald Reagan has expressed no concern on the AIDS epidemic. Let's take a listen. Ronald Reagan and his administration took the AIDS epidemic as a joke, rather than responding immediately to ensure public health and safety. This placed AIDS patients and the gay community at a great disadvantage. Since little was understood about the virus in the 80s, scientists were yet to identify why thousands of otherwise healthy people were dying from a rare condition. Without concrete explanations and protocols being given to the public, misinformation and homophobia were rife. AIDS was labeled gay-related immune deficiency within scientific communities during the onset of the epidemic. People even went as far as to suggest that the illness was a disease from God to bring about punishment for the person's immoral behaviors. As a result of such misinformation, AIDS was largely attributed to, and even blamed on, the gay community. With the virus seeming to affect this minority, the media was hesitant to report on the growing epidemic in which the outbreak itself was initially ignored. Even the infamous New York Times were criticized for not acknowledging the epidemic and only publishing negative stories on the gay community. 
To make matters worse, homophobia was involved in political campaigns amidst the epidemic. Republican politician Jim Corder utilized the AIDS crisis during his campaign to threaten the dismissal of gay men even if they did not have the disease. Evidently, a lack of initiative, concern, or support during the epidemic from the Reagan administration gave way for misinformation to spread through the media, other politicians, and the general public as they targeted the gay community. If AIDS were taken seriously since the start of the epidemic with care and respect for those affected, there would not be a stigma surrounding the disease today and even possibly more intensive research on finding a cure. Fast forward to present day. We are currently dealing with a pandemic at hand, coronavirus, formerly referred to as COVID-19. As Mark Twain once said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. From the day colonizers conquered parts of the world with their 3G philosophy, God, glory, and gold, they felt superior and on top of the world. While they were happy and rich, people were suffering and in pain. So when we refer to the idea of first world and third world countries, we cannot forget this part. The origination of first world and third world comes from the alliances formed during the Cold War. The US, Western Europeans, and their allies were the first world countries, and then the third world countries were the ones who were not aligned with any particular group. Now, when we think about first world versus third world, there is a misconception of rich versus poor, modern, civilized versus underdeveloped, and much more. What people fail to realize is one, the humanitarian issues in these third world countries are everywhere. Two, societies were flourishing with riches and resources before they were stolen away to sit in museums and feed the white man's hand. When the Ebola outbreak occurred in some places in Africa, mind you, Africa is in a country, places like the Democratic Republic of Congo, Guinea, Sierra Leone, and more had outbreaks not necessarily because these countries are quote-unquote underdeveloped, it was because that's how diseases work. It's science. Based on trends every 30 to 35 years or so, or roughly three per century is everyone's best guess about the future frequency of influenza pandemics. With this above all mindset, it makes sense why this isn't talked about. Making jokes on Twitter about a disease that people are dying from is more entertaining. Americans are and have always been sitting on a pedestal. Just like during the Ebola outbreak and AIDS epidemic, when COVID-19 made an appearance and was discussed across many news channels, the first thing, at least for the youth, was to make jokes across the internet and in schools. This matches with the fact that out of 80 people surveyed, 48 did not feel at risk of COVID-19, and 65% did not think a global pandemic could affect the U.S. at all, and especially in the way it did. One person even went as far as saying they thought pandemics were ancient history. One of the biggest reasons behind the lack of awareness and preparedness in the United States is optimism bias. 
Optimism bias is defined by a general tendency that we all have whereby we tend to underestimate personal risk. From what the survey collected, we underestimate the risk because we think the healthcare system here is top-notch. We underestimate the risk because other people do not seem worried. And we underestimate the risk because of what the media tells us. Now let me emphasize on what the media tells us. In the beginning of this pandemic, the loads of false news were everywhere. There were rumors of this disease only affecting the elderly, African Americans being susceptible to it, and this quote-unquote being a Chinese virus, according to the president. Trump also went as far as to call this disease a hoax. So when people started dying, no wonder there was a lack of preparation, hatred and discrimination against Asians, and a high retraction rate. He later even went as far as cutting ties with the World Health Organization. The worst part of it all is while some people, the people in power and the ones with the most privilege, are sitting on a pedestal, minorities are reaping the consequences. COVID-19 is disproportionately striking minority populations, particularly urban Black and Navajo Indians living on their reservation, because of the large disparities minority and low-income groups experience. Additionally, while some people are able to move from their Manhattan home to their second house in a rural neighborhood, minorities are less likely to work remotely because they are more likely to work in lower-paid, consumer-facing service jobs. Despite being two separate diseases, there are many parallels between the present-day response to COVID-19 and the AIDS epidemic of the 1980s. It is actually very unfortunate to say that parallels can be drawn between the two, considering how awful the Reagan administration's response to the AIDS epidemic was. The public and Trump's responses to COVID-19 are no better. Like in the 80s, New York City has been hit very hard, but is it really a surprise? the U.S. government continuing to deny the severity of an outbreak, then wavering on its response to then fail to ensure public health and safety for all, the future of New York City when facing pandemics is daunting. The news has inflicted fear in some, while for others that fuel has fueled into hatred and denial, the same way it had for the public in the 80s. This should not be happening 40 years later. At some point, we must stop pointing fingers like children and work together to build a better healthcare system and government to ensure the safety and well-being for everyone. Hopefully, this is the last time we have to look back at a past epidemic to find improvements for the future. Until next time. This has been Girls Take on History.